Turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 8. Appreciate the silver quartet and all the special music we have and all the people that sing. You're such a blessing. Jeremiah chapter 8, please. I want to read some selections from this chapter. It's one of the most important chapters in the book of Jeremiah. You remember that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And when uh, one day at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus said to his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some of them say you're Jeremiah or you're one of the prophets. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I think he weeps over Bowling Green. Jeremiah was called to do an unusual thing. He was called to speak to Israel in the 40 years before Israel went into captivity. Rightly speaking, it was Judah, southern, southern nation of Israel. And in all their sin and all their debauchery, it just went on and on and on. And in the Jeremiah chapter one, the call, God said, Jeremiah, I've called you and you're to preach. They, they may not listen to you. Jeremiah said, Lord, how long? And he said, till there's nobody else to preach to. You just keep on. And the record shows that he preached 40 years and nobody repented. That was hard to do. They tell us that William Carey went to India and he preached there for seven years and there was no response. It was hard. One of the young men that went out of our church as a missionary was asked at the orientation, suppose you go in the first five years in your, in your uh, tenure of duty, you have no converts. Will you be able to take it? That was a hard question. God said, Jeremiah, they won't listen, but I want you to preach. Now we come to the eighth chapter, and we're tuning in to some of this. At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, and the bones of his princes, and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served, and after whom they have walked, and whom they have sought, and whom they have worshipped, they shall not be gathered, nor be buried. They shall be for refuse upon the face of the earth. And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain in this evil family, who remain in all the places to which I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not rise? Shall he turn away and not return? 
Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spoke not aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course, as the horse rusheth into battle. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observed the time of their coming. But my people know not the law of the Lord. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The scribes are in vain. The wise men are shamed. They're dismayed and taken, lest they have, re re they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Therefore will I give their wives and others their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the least even to the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the prince, everyone dealeth falsely. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they have committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their judgment they shall be put down, saith the Lord. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves together, and let us enter into the fortified cities, and let us be silent there for the Lord. Our God hath put us to silence, and given us water to, of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and behold, trouble. The, snoring of the snorting of the horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they are come, they have devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents, adders among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because those who dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and their foreign vanities? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black, dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? I want you to notice verse 20 especially. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. This eighth chapter gives a tremendous evaluation of what happened to Judah. And why punishment came, and why the Babylonian captivity came, and why God allowed the children of Israel, who at least in some some form served God and had laws that were related to biblical truths, but God allowed them to go into slavery. And for 70 years they were in captivity. And Jeremiah has written this chapter just sort of an evaluation of what was going on in the nation. And he closes by saying, you had a summer of opportunity. 
God has been good. And then God began to send warnings. And he warned you with this, and he warned you with this, and he warned you with this, and you still didn't listen. You didn't listen to his goodness. You didn't listen to his warning. The summer has passed. The harvest has ended, and we're not saved. And here we are. In just a few days, the summer of 1992 will be passed. This is the last Sunday we will meet in the summer of 1992. In just a little while, the season will change, the sun will pass the fall equinox, and fall will be here before we meet again in the house of the Lord on another Sunday. And I can't help but think of the passing of the harvest, the opportune time. The harvest is an opportune time to see things happen spiritually. Now, when there's a change from one season to another, it is not always obvious. For example, next Sunday, the leaves will still be on the trees. Some of the flowers will still be in bloom. We'll still be having daylight saving time. The weather probably will still be warm. From everything obvious, there'll be no difference. Summer will still be here, but the calendar will tell us, no, it isn't here anymore. We've already passed it. And that's the way with God's opportune time, the harvest all too soon passes away. And what we meant to do, what we meant to accomplish, never did get done. The passing of harvest and the passing of summer is sort of a sad time. Family reunions and outdoor picnics and all the things we do in the summer, all that will pass away. And we'll be very soon in the wintertime. That happens in life too. I want to speak to you tonight about some harvests that all too soon are passing away. Remember that 2,600 years ago, a lonely prophet called out to his people, at the end of the summer of opportunity, the summer is past. Harvest is ended. It's too late. The spiritual summer or opportune summer passes away the same way, quietly, everything going the same way, everything seems to be all right. Then suddenly we find out that summer is over and the opportunities are gone. Now God has given ample time for harvest. Matter of fact, God gave us 2,000 years. In John chapter four, Many, many years ago, when the Lord Jesus was here in the days of his flesh, in John chapter 4, verse 35, he said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The fields are white already to harvest. There are some harvest times that are passing away. And we want to think about it for just a moment or two. What are the harvests that all too soon will be gone? And we'll not be able to enter into them any longer at all. Well, first of all, the harvest of youth passes away. Youth is a wonderful time. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, we had a hard time deciding when a person passes from youth to adulthood and from adulthood to old age. And uh, sometimes none of us like to admit that we're not youth any longer. 
But to those of you who are youth, anybody that is, what, 25 and under, your youth, 24 and under, somebody say, I think it's 30 and under, or 40 and under. <laughs> well, whatever age bracket you put on youth, I want to tell you that that season is passing quickly. It's not going to be here forever. Now, it seems like it will. For a child, say, uh, two years old, it's half of his lifetime from one Christmas to another. Thinks it's never going to come. But as you get older, Christmas comes faster and faster and faster. It's like being in a car and you start that car real slow, like five or ten miles an hour, and you watch the telephone pulse, and it looks like, man, they just, they're a long way apart. And then you excel the car. Pretty soon the telephone posts are passing a little bit faster. And then you get it up there like on the Autobahn in Germany. I wish we had one in America where you could drive 160 or 180 miles an hour and the telephone post is zip, 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 zip. That's the way with the years. That's the way with your youth. The harvest of youth all too soon passes away. Youth is a great time. It's like the spring of life. Time for physical maturing, enjoying, enjoyment, pleasures, romance. Somebody said a young man's fancy turns to what the young lady has been thinking of all year long when springtime comes. It's a time for seed sowing. And the Bible says so much about sowing seed and being careful the kind of seed you sow. But listen to this. Turn your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 just for a moment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, listen to what God says. Well, in chapter 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. And in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. In other words, rejoice, O young man, in the youth. Let your heart cheer you. Do whatever you want to. Do whatever feels good. Just have it up. Live it up. Do whatever you want to do. Everything will be all right. But remember that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Now, there's a built-in judgment on sin. It's just built in. We're not to think of God as some mean, honorary character sits up in the sky and watches for you to make a mistake and pounces on you with his thumb. That isn't it at all. But we break God's laws, we don't really break them, we get broken on them. When the Bible says, flee, flee also youthful lusts, God doesn't say that to curb your pleasure and because he wants you to not have any fun. But he says, I want to protect you and keep you until one day you'll really understand what real pleasure is. But the harvest of youth all too soon passes away. People are not going to be young forever. It's going to come a time when all that will be gone. In 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul begs, flee also youthful lusts. 
Judgment is predicted. You can sow your wild oats, but know that God will bring you into judgment. Every gray hair, every weakened body in this auditorium tonight is a silent testimony that the harvest of youth is passing away. What are you going to do with your youth? What are you going to do with these wonderful days, wonderful youthful days? The song we sang a while ago, when your youthful days are old, all gone and old age is stealing on, your body bends beneath the weight of care, and so on and so on. Most of you that are youth don't know anything about that because you're still in the prime of your youth. I want to advise you, don't let the harvest pass that wonderful youth time because some of the greatest things you will ever do in your entire life are done where you're young. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever met have been teenagers. I've known some young people who dared to buck the tide, who dared to stand for God, who dared to be somebody in the midst of a world that cares nothing about principle, has no absolutes at all. But I've known some young people who bucked all that tide and stood for God and they never regretted it. And God used them as an anchor and a bulwark. What are you going to do with your youth? One thing a lot of kids do, and I guess you can't help some of it, but kids make cronies of each other. And that's natural. Certainly you're going to be friends with people your own age. But a lot of youth just ignore older people. They ignore their parents. They ignore others that would like to get into their lives and give them some counsel or help. They're not interested. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do with the moral values that God teaches in a world that has no moral values at all, in a world that has no absolutes, what are you going to do about it? The harvest of your youth is passing away. I'm ministering to a man now. I respect him and love him. He wasted his youth. He used to come to our church on the bus. He was a little boy. He slipped through our fingers. He got on drugs and got on liquor. A few months ago, he was trying to get in the house of his girlfriend where he lived. And she shot him. Young man. He's paralyzed. Since he's been in the hospital, he's given his heart to Christ. I hope I can bring him to church sometime soon. Have him give a testimony. A few weeks ago, two guys got in sort of a skirmish and a fight. They decided to settle it somewhere else, and they went over somewhere else, and one guy got out of his truck and just shot the other guy in cold blood. Youth. A wonderful young man destroyed. The other guy 
has to spend the rest of his life remembering. Remembering. The wonderful opportunity you have as a young person, what are you going to do with it? It'll all be gone soon. You can squander it, you can waste it, or you can invest it. Well, there's another harvest that passes. The harvest when there are reapers, loved ones who really seek to get people saved, all that passes away. I think of Samuel and Saul. There was a time when Samuel loved Saul. Saul was a, was a meek young man, stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And God said, you, it's, it's not really my will to have a king in Israel. But since they want a king, go on and appoint Saul king. And Samuel anointed Saul. And Samuel was Saul's best friend. But Saul became bigoted and, and, and filled with pride, pride and filled with himself. You often wonder, you read the story of Saul. It's one of the enigma stories of the Bible. How he started well. And he climbed on up and then somehow he just made tragic mistake after tragic mistake and tragic mistake and he didn't know how to repent. Didn't know how to repent at all. And finally, he told Samuel to get lost. I don't need you anymore. Samuel said, all right, I'll see your face again no more. Sad words in the Bible. And all the rest of Saul's life, he wished he had never done that. He lived with that regret. So that it came to the battlefield at Gilboa. He wanted to know how the battle would go the next day. And he tried to pray and his prayer wouldn't get any higher than the ceiling. He tried to find some godly counsel and he'd, he'd removed them all from him. So he visited a witch, the witch of Ender. And he had her try to call back or conjure back the spirit of Saul, of Samuel. I don't understand all about that, but I know that God permitted the voice of Samuel to say to Saul, tomorrow you're going to be in the grave. You see, there was a time when Saul could have gotten godly counsel, but he, he ignored it. He rejected it. There have been times when somebody's come to you and tried to counsel you and tried to help you and try to win you to Christ or try to deal with you or try to say, don't go on the road you're on your way. Don't go on the road you're, you're on. Just stop and turn back. And you've ignored it. You may have been courteous on the outside, but inside you said, I don't need what they're saying. I've talked to people about their marriages. I've seen some men and women do the same thing. You urge them to remember what they said at the marriage altar until God by death shall separate us. And they say, but I don't feel like I used to feel. I want to tell you, love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. Love is a commitment. It's your word. And go out, have some extra marital experience. One of the problems with that, you might like it. We all have an Adamic nature. And that feels a little bit better than what I had at home. 
and you're on the road to destruction. You might say, well, I'm going to honor God. But if you don't honor God about this area, you're in dangerous territory. And you have somebody that cares and somebody pleads with you, somebody talks with you and just tells you straight. And you register that all in your computer mind and then you do something else. The harvest, when you have somebody cares enough to, be shoot, to shoot straight with you, is going to pass away. Be gone. The harvest, when there's somebody that cares about your soul, it's going to be gone. It'll pass away too quickly. But listen, the harvest, when there are other people for whom we ought to care, will soon be gone. There are people all over Bowling Green that you care about. If we ask you tonight to write a prayer list of people that you're interested in, somebody you'd like to see saved, almost everybody here could think of somebody, somebody you'd like to see saved. And if we ask you to pray about it a few minutes and ask God to lay it on your heart and you would earnestly seek God's direction about it, then you'd write some name down. But do you go to that person? Do we go to them? Do we put it off and put it off and put it off until one day we pick up the paper and read, he died last night, he's gone. The harvest, when somebody cares about you, is passing away. The harvest, when we have opportunity to express that care, is all going to be gone soon. We're going to have Angel Martinez with us in a few days. I believe if we get people under the sound of the gospel, someone will get saved. But it's up to you and me. The question is, how much do we care? Do we really, are we burdened enough to say, Lord, use me. Use me to go and try to win someone. Or at least to invite them, encourage them to come and hear the word of God. I want to ask you not to put that off. Because that harvest time will be gone soon. Somebody told me, after they heard J. Harold Smith's message on God's three deadlines, they'd never heard it before. They said, oh, if I'd known he was going to preach like that, I'd have brought so-and-so. I think they could have gotten saved. But see, that harvest time passed away. Now, we have an opportunity during four days to get people under the sound of the gospel. Let's do it. Those harvest days will soon pass away. There'll be no, no opportunity after that. And then the harvest of God's special dealing with a sinner passes. I don't really like this doctrine. But I believe it. But I don't like it. I like the doctrine that says whosoever will may come. I believe that. I preach it. I practice it. And I go to people as the Holy Spirit seems to guide. And I go to people that are on my prayer list and I pray for them and urge them and talk with them about Jesus. But I will tell you, we need to warn them. And if you're here tonight in this situation, you need to be warned. There's going to come a time when God won't deal with you any longer.
you'll get spiritually hard of hearing. You won't hear God anymore. The doctrine of whosoever will may come is still true, but you won't even be one of those whosoever's because you won't will to come. Say, whosoever will may come. Whoever has a will to come to God may come, but there's going to come a time when you won't even want to come. You won't even feel God deal with you. If you feel him dealing with you tonight and you sense you're a sinner and lost and going to hell, turn to him now because there's coming a day when you'll not feel that anymore. You'll get spiritually insensitive just like a person that's on the front of a train all of his life in those old steam engine days. And he would be up there over and over and hear the grind of the train and grind of the engine. And after a while, he couldn't even hear his watch ticking when he held it up to his ear because his ears had become insensitive because of the terrible grinding of the engine. And that's what happens to people who being often reproved and hardened their neck they're suddenly destroyed in that without remedy. The harvest, when there's special dealing with God's, with, with, when God deals with somebody about his soul, that harvest soon passes away. It's gone. Never again can you hear. Never again can you sense your need. Man can so sear his conscience by ignoring and rejecting that he no longer has a conscience. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God said to Noah, My spirit shall not always strive with man. I'm going to give him 120 years. After that, it's cut off. Now, I don't know whether everybody knew that or not. But God said, Now, Noah, you go out and preach. And Noah went out and preached faithfully for 120 years while he was building that ark. And everybody laughed at him and scoffed at him and thought he was a, 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 just a, a crazy character, an old codger. They didn't pay any attention to him. As far as we know, nobody repented because when the boat got finished, there were only eight people on it. And then when the floods came and the water came, and that boat began to get lifted up and all of Noah's family were in it and the animals were in it and the, no, the, the boat got lifted up by the water. Some of those characters who had heard, heard Noah preach all those years came and banged on the boat and said, please let me in, please let me in. And I think there'd have been enough of the milk of loving kindness in the heart of Noah if he could have, he'd opened the door. But God shut that door. And when God shuts the door, nobody else can open it. And friend, when God shuts the door on you because you have rejected and rejected and rejected, nobody can open that door. All the king's horses and all the king's men and every preacher and Billy Graham and all the rest can't open the door because you have allowed it to be closed. You've rejected God. There comes a day when God's Spirit will not deal with you any longer. I said to begin with, I don't like that doctrine. But I have to tell you about it. It's true. It's part of the Word of God, part of the counsel of God. And you need to be warned of it. Now, not only is that so about people who have never made a profession of faith, it's equally as true about people who have made professions of faith but have no real possession. In other words, they got in the church maybe like a thief and a robber. They never were saved. They go through the motions. Maybe their parents want them to or make them do it. But they don't have any heart in it. 
comes a time when you won't sense that any longer. Now, last of all, in James, the fourth chapter, the scripture says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little season, then vanishes away. Life itself, the harvest of life itself passes. And all too soon. We don't have any guarantee on living in this body. We don't know how long we're going to live. We may live 100 years. One of us in this room may die tomorrow. Some years ago, there were two ladies that visited our church. And uh, during the invitation, I saw one speak to the other and sort of nod. And they didn't, no, nobody, no response at all. The next day, there was a terrible accident over on Kentucky Street. And I didn't know it until several days later, but it was the t one of the ladies that was in this auditorium that night was in that accident, and her brain was injured. She spent several weeks in the hospital, went to visit her, couldn't get through to her, she couldn't understand. And she went out into eternity. And one of her friends said, that lady was in your service on Sunday night. She almost came to the Lord, but she didn't. For a number of years, I kept her visitor's card on this pulpit, just to remind me there's somebody in the auditorium who may be hearing the Word of God for the last time. Many years ago, I was in Savannah, Tennessee, while I was a student at Union University. And uh, I preached one night on a message similar to this, and a, boy, a girl and her, and her boyfriend were in the service. When I gave the invitation, I noticed that that girl was very, very concerned about her boyfriend. She spoke to him. He didn't respond, didn't come. And then, as I stood at the door and I shook hands with him as they went out, I spoke briefly to him, but he was not interested. They left. The next day was election day in Hardin County. And that boy worked at a service station. And there was a car coming from Selmer to Savannah, went up on the Tennessee River Bridge, had a flat tire. Well, they left their car there and got in touch with a service station to send somebody up there to help them. They sent this boy that was in the service the night before. He drove his truck up on the bridge and parked it so the lights would shine on the car and the truck and, and, the, and the tire so he could get out and fix it. And he was standing between the truck and the car when a man drunk on election day whiskey came up on that bridge and jammed the truck and pinned that boy between the truck and the car. And late that night, they called me to come to the Hardin County Hospital. I went out there and stood by that Hardin County Hospital and I saw this girl that was in church the night before. I didn't know who the boy was. I didn't recognize him. But this girl came in weeping and she got down on her knees by, the, by his side and tried to talk with him, but there was no response. He couldn't hear, he couldn't understand. And then I, I recognized who she was. She said, preacher, pray for, my, pray for my boyfriend. He's lost, he's lost. They put him in an ambulance and sent him to Memphis and he died on the way. The harvest 
passes away of life itself. We don't know how long we've got. Nobody in this room knows how long you have. And any commitment you need to make to Christ ought to be made now. You may not even have time to do it all. I think of Brother Marvin Gordon, who committed his life to serve God as a preacher. And then sensed a call to go into missions. And he said, Lord, here am I. I'll do it. I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Finished the seminary. Was in a pastor, ready to go. He was stricken with cancer. He went out to be with the Lord. But I believe God counts his willingness just as if he'd already gone. You see, it's the willingness that counts. It is the rebellion. It is the saying no that is an affront to God. So I want to ask you tonight as we close this service, whatever God's saying to you, will you be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. I want to be concerned about somebody that's lost. I want to try to win them to Jesus. If God, you want me to do something about my home life, you want it to get back together. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I can to get my home back together. Lord, if you have a plan for me and you want something for me to do in life, I'm willing. Here I am. I may never be able to do it. I may not even have the gifts or talents, but whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. If you're here today and you're not saved, you've never given your heart to Christ, would you put your life on the altar for him and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Use me. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the, the, the thought that you warned us of in the Bible. The summer is past. The harvest is ended. We're not saved. We're not quite there yet. As long as we can hear, as long as there's a hankering in our heart or a want to in our heart to come to the Lord, we can come. We pray that if there's one person here tonight who has heard God speak to his heart, that that one will say, yes, Lord, here am I. I yield myself to thee. I'll do whatever you want me to do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let's stand, please. Page 300. I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior, though earth's friends be few. Page 300. Will you turn there to that song, please? 300. There's someone in this auditorium who has come here tonight, not by accident. God arranged it. The, foot, the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You may never have been here before, but God brought you here. Would you be willing to do what God tells you to do? If you've never been saved, would you say, Lord, here's my life. I want to give it to you. If you have been saved, would you say, Lord, I want to give my life back to you. I want to be your servant. I want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to be a rebel. I want to honor you with my life. Whatever the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about, would you be willing to do it? While we begin to sing, for you I am praying. Would you come? Page 300.